today, which is found in Genesis 32. Genesis 32, we'll be reading the whole chapter. So Genesis 32, starting in verse 1. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord, in order that I might find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him, and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, If Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good. And make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over. To his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, When he saw my brother meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau. And And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the presence that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. The same night. He arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, "'Let me go, for the day is broken.' But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, 
Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord God, we thank you for your word, which gives us encouragement and uh, which also convicts us and builds us up. Uh, It is your word, which is holy and righteous and true. So we pray that you would uh, unfold its meaning before us, that you would guide the preaching of your word and make our minds and hearts attentive to what you would have us learn. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had one trial or challenge or difficulty resolved and then only come face-to-face with another one? Where you thought one thing, now you could have some peace, you had finished one difficulty, and then the next one begins. That is what happened to Jacob. The hostility of Laban resolved just in time for him to now turn his attention to the next challenge, which was that of the hostility of Esau. He was coming to the land of Canaan. He had not yet crossed the Jordan River. He was still east of the Jordan River, but he was close to it, and it was time to cross the Jabbok River, which is a tributary of the Jordan River flowing from the east to the west into the Jordan, and this was the river that Jacob had come to. Now, Esau, we learn, had moved to Edom. And somehow Jacob knew this. Some, some message perhaps had sent that he had heard that Esau no longer lived in Canaan, but in the land that would be called after Esau himself, Edom, which is to the southeast of the Dead Sea. It was a mountainous region. So in this chapter, uh, he, he sends word to Esau, but we also find that Jacob wrestles in prayer to God and then physically wrestles for a blessing from God. His prayer was like a wrestling, and his wrestling was like a prayer. And so we, sh- we should, I think, see these events as parallel in this chapter, as two manifestations of Jacob's striving for, uh, with God for the blessing. Even as he physically wrestled, he was also praying. He cried out, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I think the key verse is verse 28, where Jacob is told, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Now, Jacob is not faulted for striving. He is not rebuked for his striving. His striving was blessed and victorious. He strove and prevailed. He prevailed with God and with men. It was not the product of a lack of faith, but in fact, it was the product of his faith. He, faith, he, he believed, and therefore he strove. He prized the blessing. You should also seek God's blessing and should do so with holy wrestling. Do not despise the blessing of God like Esau had done, but rather 
Seek it. Above everything else, seek it with endurance and vigor from the hand of God. God provokes his children to a vigorous exercise of their faith and then crowns that faith with victory by his grace. He gives his blessing freely to those who seek it. And he continues throughout their life as he sanctifies them to draw out that faith into more vigorous exercises after his blessing. The Puritan Thomas Watson wrote a book called Heaven Taken by Storm, and he based it on Matthew 11, verse 12, where Jesus said, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. I think Watson accurately describes uh, the fact that, that heaven is to be taken by storm, describes the holy violence which we should use in seeking the kingdom, not in terms of a physical violence, but in terms of the resolution of will, the vigor of affection, the strength of endeavor that we should use in pursuing uh, glory. We can make a similar point, I think, from this passage, a similar point. God will have you take firm hold of him by faith and to seek the promised blessing by holy wrestling. In this passage, we find that Jacob first meets with the angels, then Jacob prays, and lastly, Jacob wrestles. Let's begin with verse, verse, uh, the first five verses, though. Jacob meets with angels. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. God here strengthens Jacob with the appearance of a host of angels. This is similar to his earlier vision, where he saw the ladder between heaven and earth, and the angels descending and ascending. Uh, that even as that was an encouragement to him, uh, so this appearance of angels as well. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. It's interesting he didn't say, this is the angel's camp. He said, this is God's camp. The angels were a sign of God's care and of God's presence, and for his good, we might add. The camp of the angels was God's camp. They were God's army, God's encampment. This was an encouragement for Jacob. He was allowed to see God's care for him in the form of a host of God's angels. Later, David would write in Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Then Jacob names the place. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. This name means two camps. This probably refers to him seeing the camp of angels and his own camp, that there was not, two, not one camp, but two camps. Thus, this encouragement was memorialized by the naming of the place where it happened, to be a remembrance to the people in generations to come that this appearance had been shown their forefather. So, encouraged in this way, Jacob then sends a message to his brother Esau. He didn't sneak back into the land trying to avoid his brother. He sought reconciliation with his brother. Esau lived in the land of Seir, the land of Edom. Now, if you saw this on a map, you would realize Edom was by no means on the way to Canaan. Jacob is coming from the northeast. Uh, He is coming into Canaan. Uh, He has to cross the river. But Edom was on his side of the river already. It was much further to the south, south of the Dead Sea. But he goes out of his way to send a message to reach out to Esau. Certainly Esau probably would have found out Jacob would have returned one way or the other sooner or later. 
but he takes the initiative. He sends a message in humble terms, seeking peace and the favor of Esau. He says, my Lord Esau, your servant Jacob. He's not uh, claiming all the rights of the blessings that have been given to him. He doesn't come as a threat to Esau. He says, I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. He has been emboldened, and he uh, not only is headed to Canaan, but he even sends the message to Esau. Learn from these first five verses, first of all, that God sends out his angels to watch over his saints. As Hebrews 1 or verse 14 says, angels are all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. There are hosts of angels, normally unseen by us, who yet work for our good. The angels do not serve for the sake of all people. Not everyone has the angels watching over them, but they do serve for the sake of God's covenant people, for those who are to inherit salvation. The camp of the church is accompanied by the camp of the angels. There are two camps. Secondly, let God's care and protection make you bold, as it encouraged Jacob to reach out to Esau. Uh, If we have the power and presence of God, if we have the angels of God for our protection, we can be bold in fulfilling our our duties, even though they might... Uh, be risky. Do not simply rest comfortably in the security God gives you, but go forth in that strength to do the hard but good things that has been set before you. And then as Jacob reached out to Esau, so seek peace with your brothers. Seek peace with your brothers and do so with humility, like Jacob does here. He doesn't come... uh, in in a harsh manner or picking a fight or uh, anything of that sort, accusing Esau, but with humility, with humble words, with a soft answer. For a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. This Proverbs reminds us, should be self-evident, but God's word reminds us just in case. So Jacob is first encouraged by the host of angels. He sends out a message to, uh, to Esau. Secondly, we find in verses 6 through 21 that Jacob prays. Now Jacob prays because the message he got back was very ominous. His messenger said, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. That is a rather ominous message. There's no message about whether he was favorable towards Jacob or not, but 400 men sounds like it could be a hostile force. This sounds like an army uh, and would overwhelm the forces that, that Jacob has. He fears because the last he heard, uh, at least the last we were told, was that Esau had sworn to kill Jacob. Uh, whenever he would get the chance, when that time was right. And so Jacob both prays and he works to avoid the danger. Both of these are good. It would be bad to fail to pray. It would also be bad to be irresponsible. Uh, With faith in God, he is able to keep a cool head and prepare for the worst. He doesn't panic. His confidence does not cause him to grow sluggish, but he proceeds onward by faith. 
Uh, He divides his household into two camps. That way, if one is destroyed, the other one at least might be able to escape. He didn't put all his eggs into one basket, we might say. He also sent Esau, after his prayer, a large gift, a large gift of livestock that was then divided up into multiple droves, at least three, maybe, maybe more, but at least three droves of livestock for cumulative effect so that he would receive one, and then he would receive another, and then he would receive another, each one building upon the last to hopefully appease Esau by the time he got to Jacob and his household. Jacob sought peace with his brother, and he pressed on to the promised land even at the cost of such a pricely gift. We're talking about hundreds of animals that he now gives away to his brother so that he can enter the promised land. He doesn't turn tail and go to another land. He is still going to press on ahead despite the danger at the cost of his wealth. Not all his wealth, but a significant sum. He did not value his wealth more than the promise of God. But in between dividing his household and preparing this gift, Jacob prayed. Jacob prayed humbly and he prayed boldly. It's one of the, I think it's the longest prayer in the book of Genesis that's recorded. He argues his case, but he doesn't rest his case upon his own merit. He rests his case upon God's character, his past deeds, and his promises. Jacob uses arguments to reinforce his request. He doesn't just make his request, he pleads his case. Consider how he pleads his case. In verse 9, he appeals to God's faithfulness to his fathers. He is the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. He has shown his faithfulness to Jacob's forefathers, and so he appeals to that that he might show the same to him. Then in, later in verse 9, he also appeals to God's word, God's word to him. You told me to return. You told me to return that you might do me good. And so I'm, re- I'm returning. The reason I'm in this situation is because you told me to do this and you promised to do good to me. So help me because being destroyed by my brother would not be good. Uh, he is uh, appealing, arguing on the basis of what God had told him. Then he appeals to God's grace in verse 10. God's grace had been shown in these past deeds of mercy and faithfulness. Why had God shown Jacob such favor? Not because Jacob was worth uh, all of these deeds. He was not worthy of the least of these. So his, his merit wouldn't have any uh, factor in the present either. It had been God's grace that had been shown him. He had crossed the Jordan with a staff. That's all that he had. That's uh, when, he, when he went away from Canaan, he had a staff, and now he had become two camps. He had become wealthy. He had multi- many children. He had been blessed, and so he asked God, that God would continue to show him such grace. Then he also appeals to God's mercy by describing his danger in verse 11. Why does he need help? Because he's in a desperate situation. Because he's in danger. Mercy is that love that is shown to those who are in danger or who are suffering and that you seek to relieve that and rescue them from danger or relieve their suffering. And so he uh, appeals to the mercy and compassion of God by showing him, I am in desperate circumstances here. Deliver me from the hand of my brother. He makes the appeal himself, you know, what he wants God to do. But he also says, I fear him. 
that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. And then in verse 12, he again appeals to God's word. He appeals to God's promise. He appeals to God's promise to do him good, to make his offspring as the sand of the sea, to be numerous beyond count, which would be contrary to being wiped out by Esau. Uh, that, w- that would not be a fulfillment of these, this promise. And so he uh, asks God to help, and he reinforces that request. He argues for that on the basis of the promise that God had freely given him to do him good and to make his offspring as the sand of the sea. So we learn from Jacob's prayers and his actions here to to cast your cares upon the Lord. Do you have cares? Do you have fears? Do you have other dangers that you face? When you're confronted by danger or distress, to cast those cares upon the Lord in prayer. What do you do with those worries? What do you do with those cares and fears? Uh, how, How do you not be anxious about these things? It is by casting them upon the Lord, by expressing them to the Lord, and by putting the matter into His hands, asking for His help. And when you pray, take hold of God and His promises, as you might vigorously shake an apple tree so that its fruit might fall to you. You know, if the fruit is too high to reach, you might try shaking the tree if it's small enough so that the fruit falls down. So vigorously lay hold of the promises that they might drop their blessings. Uh, appeal to the promises of God. Appeal to God on the basis of them, that you might take hold of them in this way through prayer. When you pray, pour out your heart to God. Lay out your case before Him. Certainly you can offer a brief prayer in which you simply request something, but Scripture has many examples of prayers that do more than simply request, but reinforce that request, that express the situation, the the feelings of the soul, and the danger that confronts, and the reasons that God would help a person like this. Use arguments. As the last question of the larger catechism says, we are taught by Scripture to enforce our petitions with arguments, which are to be taken not from any worthiness in ourselves or in any other creature, but from God. And Jacob here does. He reinforces his request with arguments, with reasons, with uh, persuasions uh, to, to move God to help him. This practice honors God. It extols His goodness, His word, His character, His past deeds. This practice comforts us as we remind ourselves, as we remind God of these truths and these reasons to be confident. It also puts our prayers on solid ground, that we are praying according to His will. And God loves to answer such prayers. We do this when we also pray in the name of Christ when we rely upon his mediation. For in him all the promises of God are yes and amen. He was the implicit foundation for all these promises that Jacob was appealing to. It is through Christ that we can lay claim to the favor and help of God. Why do we, well, on what basis do we ask for forgiveness? Not for the sake of our merits that would outweigh our deeds, our sinful deeds, right? But rather because of Christ. 
We pray in the name of Christ not simply by mentioning Christ, but by, by relying upon him and appealing to him when we ask these things of God. The patriarchs believed in Christ through promises and symbols, but we have all the more reason for confidence as we approach the throne of grace, as we rest upon the work and mediation of Christ. And then, once you have prayed, you know, having prayed, work diligently. Seek to fulfill your responsibilities. It's a more extended quote here, but from Calvin on this point. He says, For though by prayer we cast our cares upon God, that we might have peaceful and tranquil minds, Yet this security ought not to render us indolent. For the, Lord will not, for the Lord will have all the aids which he affords us applied to use. But the diligence of the pious differs greatly from the restless activity of the world, because the world, relying on its own industry independently of the blessing of God, does not consider what is right or lawful. Moreover, it is always in trepidation. By its bustling, increases more and more its own disquietude. In other words, we we cast our cares upon God so that we might have a peaceful and confident mind, but that's not so that we become lazy or sluggish, but rather that we might go forward to do our duties, to fulfill our responsibilities, to work in ways that are right and lawful, resting upon him so that when we have done our duty, we can rest. But the ungodly depend only on their own industry and do not depend on the blessing of God. So they don't care about whether it's a right course of action or not, They simply will do whatever it takes. And even when they do their work, it only more and more disquiets them. Uh, They do not receive rest by it. And Calvin goes on to explain that the pious work to use the gifts of God to discharge their duty, but they still depend upon the blessing of God. That is what Jacob does here. He works, but he also uh, beseeches God's help for a blessing upon these works uh, that, that God would deliver him from the hand of Esau. And so we find that Jacob prays. He prays in a vigorous way. We might say he strives with God in prayer. But then we find that Jacob literally strives. He wrestles with a man at the ford of the Jabbok. In verses 22 through 32. During the night, so it's at night time, he arose, so perhaps they'd even been sleeping, and he wake up in the middle of the night. We don't know what time of the night. But during the night, they cross the river. They cross the river at the ford, and he brings all his household, all his possessions, his wives, his children, and they cross the river. And he sends them on ahead, and he remains by himself by the river. He is alone. And then a very odd and unexpected statement is found in verse 24, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And it's quite a match. We don't know what time of the night they started, but you get the idea that they wrestled a long time. They wrestled until it started to get light. They wrestled until dawn. This was not, you know, a few minutes. This was uh, a serious period of wrestling. And neither one seemed to be making progress. The man that Jacob encountered saw that he did not prevail against Jacob. And so as it was getting light, as dawn was coming upon them, the man touched Jacob's hip and dislocated his hip with this touch. And having done so, he says, let me go for the day is broken. Now, that would have been painful, especially after 
who knows how long of wrestling, of using this, his, his physical ability, his whole body as he's wrestling this man, and then his hip gets dislocated. I don't know, I'll have to ask Thomas to you know, get some more details on what the wrestling would be like there. But if your hip gets dislocated, I assume that you might want to call it quits. But does he let go? No. Jacob does not let go, even after this injury. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, perhaps Jacob had realized from that touch itself that this was no ordinary man. I think Jacob was more in tune with, you know, when he's meeting with something supernatural than we would be. He had already met with angels at least, what, three times? But before this point, he could probably sense something supernatural was happening better than we could. He found that in one way or another, he was encountering God through this mysterious figure. Wrestling with this man was to strive with God. And the man spoke, and he blessed for God. The exact relation of this man and, and uh, or the exact relation of God and this man is a little mysterious. We can refer to him as an angel because Hosea does in Hosea 12, verse 3. He says of Jacob, he strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. But was this an angel representing God, you know, and speaking and acting for him? Or was this God, perhaps the Son of God in particular, temporarily taking human form? Uh, that seems to be the majority opinion. On the one hand, in Genesis forty-eight sixteen, Jacob seems to refer to God as the angel who has redeemed him from trouble. And we'll get to that passage eventually. On the other hand, angels are naturally closely associated with God because they are God's ministers. They represent him and his care and his presence and deliver his word. I think it's a little mysterious. It it doesn't help that he doesn't give his name. Um, The main point is that while this man was a man in appearance, in wrestling him, Jacob strove with God. And what he said and his blessing was the word and blessing of God. In response to Jacob's tenacity, the man did two things. He renamed Jacob and then blessed him. He began by asking for Jacob's name. Jacob told him, and then the man said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men, and have prevailed. You know, Jacob meant takes by the heel. I mean, one since he had been wrestling from birth, from before birth. Uh, takes by the heel, but that had kind of the idea of, of almost of, of trickery or cheating. At least that's the way Esau saw the, the meaning. But Israel means God strives, or strives with God seems to mean God strives, but the meaning or the significance in the statement is strives with God. You have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. The man refuses to give his name and then blesses uh, Jacob there. So after the man left, the occasion would be remembered in several ways. First of all, by the name of Israel, which would endure. Also by the name of the place, which Jacob names uh, Peniel, the face of God that he had seen God face to face and had lived. And third, by Jacob's limp from his dislocated hip, which led to the custom among the Israelites to not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because that's where the man touched him. It wasn't a a law in the law of Moses, but was a custom by which they remembered this occasion, uh, that this man had, had touched Jacob 
at that place. The limp would remind Jacob of his weakness, of, of God's power. You have to think if this man was able to dislocate his hip with a touch, that maybe he actually would have been able to overpower Jacob if he wanted to. Um, that th- though he strove with God and his striving was blessed with victory, maybe that's what God wanted. That God had given him this victory. In this physical wrestling match, Jacob received a vivid symbol of the trials that God had sent him. God had striven with Jacob, teaching him and training him, challenging him, provoking a vigorous exercise of faith in endurance and in prayer. Jacob was taught by this encounter to persevere, to strive, to seek God and his blessing that he might overcome by God's grace. As he had prevailed, so would he. And if he had prevailed with God, how much more would he prevail with men? If God was for him, who could be against him? God gave him a new name. I know it's quite a name. You have striven with God and men and have prevailed. And then God blessed him. So we should learn the same lesson as Jacob. Strive with God with holy wrestling to obtain the blessing. Those who seek will find. Those who knock, it'll be open to them. God is great in power. He can disable you in a touch. But he will have himself overcome by his saints who take hold of him by his promises. By his grace, through Jesus Christ, he blesses those who seek him. The true children of Israel will strive with God and man and will prevail through the grace of God. Now, God does not come to physically wrestle you. Um, The way you strive with him is through prayer and by enduring trials. You should seek his face through prayer. A prayer which is like a mighty wrestling. At least twice in the New Testament, it is spoken of striving in prayer. That prayer is a kind of striving with God. In Isaiah 62, we were told to put the Lord in remembrance, to take no rest and give God no rest until he establishes his church and makes it a praise in all the earth. Continue persistently. Don't give up. Continue. Don't give him any rest. Don't take rest. Put him in remembrance of what? Of his word, of his promises, that he might fulfill them and bring them to pass for you, for his people. Do not be silent. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And then strive with God by enduring the trials he sends. As the tests come upon you, press onward to the prize. These trials are like a wrestling match. Hebrews speaks in the same ways of of running the race to the end, of strengthening your weak knees and getting ready for the trial. It is a test and it is a provocative test uh, to motivate you to spring into action, to not be sluggish, but to exercise your faith. If you don't exercise, you tend to get weak. But what happens when you exercise? You get stronger. Same thing with trials in your faith if you respond. When a person begins wrestling with you, you're motivated to act, I would say, right? If someone started wrestling with you, what would happen if you did nothing? You'd end up in a pretzel. Uh, You're motivated to defend yourself, to do something, right? So it is with trials. It's sink or swim. They stir you up from your sluggishness to seek God's blessing with greater zeal, with resolution, with holy violence. 
The same God who strives with you does so for your good and upholds you by his power at the same time, purposing to give you the victory. We saw this in the New Testament in Matthew 15. Jesus provoked the faith of the Canaanite woman by initially pushing her away. She asked for mercy for her daughter, but first she met with silence. Jesus said not a word. And then she met with rejection, which seems even worse. She had to strive with Jesus through persistent prayer, using arguments, much like Jacob did in his prayer. And she prevailed with Jesus. Her faith had poured out in holy wrestling, and Jesus praised it. O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. That is what Jesus desired to see. Finally, in in Hosea 12, verses 2 through 6, we find another reference, actually, to this particular occasion. I mentioned it earlier already. Jacob was being held up for the people of Israel as an example. As Jacob strove with God and prevailed, so you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. The people had gone astray. They had gone into idolatry. They had gone away from God, and yet they were called to return by the strength of God to hold fast to him, to press on into the kingdom, to use New Testament language. The example of Jacob is both for believers, but also for the lost, that they might strive to enter by the narrow gate, to press on into the kingdom, to take hold of the life freely offered by Christ by faith. So take the kingdom of heaven by force. Both enter the narrow gate and then walk the narrow way with that same uh, vigor and holy wrestling, the vigor of affection, resolution of will, strength of endeavor, and reliance upon Christ. So as Hebrews six eleven through 12 says, we desire each one of you to say, show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. God would have you take firm hold of him, to not let him go, to seek the promised blessings by holy wrestling. Do not despise the blessing of God and count it a light thing, but rather seek it above everything else and hold on to it all your life long. Seek it with endurance and vigor from the hand of God. God provokes his children to a vigorous exercise of faith, and he crowns the faith with victory by his grace, giving his blessing freely to those who seek it. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your care for us, which uh, provokes us to trust in you, to rouse us from our fatal ease, that we might not perish but have everlasting life, and then that care that you show for us through our walk to stir us to greater uh, strength, to stir us to stronger exercise of the grace that you have implanted within us. We pray that you would stir up those graces of love and faith and endurance, that we might endure trials and temptations, and that we might be an honor and glory to your name. We ask that you would indeed bless us in accordance with your promises and the examples that you have shown us of the saints of old. We ask that you would 
deliver us from the world, the flesh, the devil, that you would build us up in holiness and piety. We pray that you would fill us with good desires and to help us overcome the evil one. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.